piece of music we're listening to in the background is called Confessional. I wrote it for the historical audio drama Confessional by Jill Korn. It's a chamber work which aims to convey the vileness and tragic horror of the murders committed by the French nobleman Gilles de Ray. Today we'll break it down and look at some of the insights into why and how it was made. You're listening to How I Make Music, where behind-the-scenes musicians get to tell their own stories. Every Wednesday we break apart a song, soundtrack or composition and investigate the insights into how it was made. My name is David R. Simpson. I'm a composer from Scotland and this is How I Make Music. Welcome back to How I Make Music, episode 67, Confessional. Thanks for listening. My name's David R. Simpson, and I'm a composer from Scotland. I've been interested in composing since I was a very young child, uh, starting on a ZX Spectrum. What the hell is a ZX Spectrum? Well, uh, yeah, it was um, it was a home computer in the in the 1980s, and they were, I mean, huge with uh, 78 year olds <laughs> in the 1980s. So I suppose I'm showing my age a bit. <laughs> I've been composing professionally for 20 years. So the audio drama that um, I want to talk about is called Confessional. Um, it's about a nobleman in France in the 15th century uh, who was called Gilles de Ray and was also known as Bluebeard. I mean, a terribly cruel person. What we would call a, a serial killer today. Murdered children, you know, was a real sadist um, and was eventually convicted and executed. The audio drama is, is about his earlier relationship with Joan of Arc as a captain in her army. You never came to see me in prison, Gil. When they piled up the logs and tethered me to the top of the pyre, you never came then. I... I could not. When the flames were lit and they set fire to my clothes and the pain began to pierce me like a thousand arrows. I when men in the crowd not. called me a and they watched as my naked body began to blister and the fire dried the tears on my face before they could fall. I could when the smoke not. smothered my breath and filled my heart. When I was looking at this, one thing that kind of came to me was uh, Werner Herzog's uh, documentaries Into the Abyss and On Death Row. Uh, the composer on those, uh, Mark Antony, really focused on drone-based stuff in those documentaries. A lot of stuff on cello, uh, and a lot of stuff on, on violin. Take a listen. I was also listening to the Joker score by Hildur Doctor. The Joker soundtrack, I mean, it was just mind-blowing, incredible. I absolutely loved it. The combination of sublime and, and monstrous, just those two, like, real extremes. And what are we trying to say about about humanity? You know, the human and the monster, like, those, those two, like, real stark visions of a person and a person's actions. A, a really ugly drone and something transcendent, I suppose.
inevitably when I'm writing something for chamber music, something I always go back to is Rachel Grimes' album Handwriting that she did with her project Rachel's, especially this piece with the song Southbound to Marion. Kind of was around at the same time as a lot of instrumental post the instrumental post rock thing that was really happening in the nineties and was was really big in in Scotland obviously with Mogwai. So I chose this piece for how I make music because it's a, it's a piece that's quite unusual for me. What I was trying to get across was this sense of foreboding and evil, um, and I wanted that to I wanted the listener to really feel that very deeply on a visceral level. We were kind of approaching it as a piece of music that could be used at the beginning and at the end. Without additional music, uh, that was a, a deliberate decision on the part of the director. Less of it's less of a, a theme, and more of um, yeah, establishing a, a, a strong mood very quickly, immediately, you know, so that when the dialogue begins, the listener isn't confused about what they're supposed to be feeling. I wanted to keep the composition drone based, maybe go against the conventional use of that technique and minimise electronic sounds. I felt like it was going to be too anachronistic when we're trying to establish, you know, such a, a medieval mood that to really lean into the electronic sounds was not was not the direction that I wanted to go in. Um, I have an electric double bass. I decided that I was going to record double bass and cello, multi-track those. I'm not the greatest double bass or cello player in the world, I'm completely self-taught, um, but I felt like uh, there was something about the physicality of, of, of playing those two instruments that really worked with m my vision and feeling for the story. So if you listen closely now, you can hear that there's a kind of rasping sonority on the bass E string. And then if you contrast that with the cello, the cello parts that you can hear now, there's a kind of fuller open tone um, at the octave above. And again, that's kind of getting back to that difficult juxtaposition that I'm trying to get across all the time, um, even just within those sm small instrumentation decisions. I really wanted to take advantage of my kind of lack of technique as a self-taught musician on these instruments, because I felt like it really got across a kind of rawness, uh, a barbarity and harshness that that I felt was useful in the setting. The foundation of the whole piece is, is a pedal tone on G and what that means, I suppose, is 
the term pedal comes from organs, um, initially pipe organs uh, that that were played with the feet, and the idea is that you have a, a lasting tone over which other there's other harmonic motion. So I have a friend who is the guitar tech uh, for the noise rock band Sonic Youth. There was a kind of tension that was built up through their use of microtones, um, different string gauges and different intonations. That was very appealing to me and that I've, that I've thought a lot about. Those kind of microtonal tensions really amp up the discomfort. I really wanted to explore uh, with the fretless instruments and, and layer, layer upon layer of fretless instruments that I was using for this piece. Take a listen. So if you've got a, a kid who plays the violin, I think you can uh, understand how unsettling fretless instruments can be. <laughs> For this episode of How I Make Music, I wanted to include some of the ideas and, and voice memos that I've kind of come up with. I recorded an early version of this piece on an iPhone, which had an arpeggiated part. I wanted something to give the piece more of a shape and tempo. And this is what it sounds like before I started developing it. There's a lot of cello in this piece. I played it as a drone. There's a pizzicato part. A staccato part. And a legato melody. One of the advantages of using a fretless instrument for the melody is the ability to put in a lot of glissando. Sliding between notes. in a way that you can't really with a fretted instrument or a keyboard instrument. You can, you can kind of get a lyricism. With the piano, I really wanted to emphasize the melody as well as retaining a kind of forward motion in the left hand. So initially I wanted to use the studio piano I really love the tone of it, it's got a really beautiful, warm tone. But because it's so old, it's pretty much impossible to achieve concert pitch on it. The recordings that I did take of it were, were not usable in context with the rest of the instruments. So I ended up falling back on a software piano and I find that it really fits very well into a cinematic mix. How about a game of Spot the Difference? I'll play you the studio piano and then I'll play you the same part on the emotional piano and you see if you can tell the difference between the two. So there are various ways that you could play, that you could voice the G minor. You could voice it in root position, first position, 
or second position. And in the end, I decided to go for root position because it felt like the most unobtrusive and straightforward beginning for the piece. Tori Amos has always been a huge influence of mine, and I really love the way that she rolls her chords right down to the lowest octaves. So the tempo for this piece isn't static, even though it sounds like it is. It actually moves up and down by 5 BPM. It's quite difficult to discern, but have a listen out for it at the end of the podcast when we play the whole piece. I used this technique to add a sort of subconscious disjointedness. I wanted the whole piece to feel like it was being dragged into existence. The combination of the cello, staccato and pizzicato parts together gives the illusion of a heartbeat quickening as the piece comes to an end. When I'm composing, I really like to use musical, what I call musical foreshadowing. I really don't like a lack of preparation, this idea of here's four bars of this, now here's four bars of that, which I think in part is kind of defined for us by the software that we use. And I really try to avoid those strict four-bar blocks that divide the music up in a really kind of unnatural way. There's a layer in the piece, which is a, a textural set of noises that I created on the cello using extended techniques. And I then processed them using Sound Toys, Echo Boy and Valhalla Plate to time domain effects. I automated the feedback and the volume to create the crescendo that you hear. This is a technique that I previously used in the film Magda, uh, which is a short short film I scored a few years ago, um, processing a set of layered violas in a similar way. Here's a section of the violas from the film Magda. There's a musical mode called the Phrygian mode, uh, which is where you play a major scale starting from the third degree. I wanted to use that in the context of this piece because it has a real dark and disturbing quality to it. Unusually, the Phrygian mode actually starts with a minor seconds interval. This minor second interval is actually echoed in the staccato cello. Here there's a shift up of a semitone from G minor to A flat. 
it gives the ending a kind of unclear quality and an ambiguousness that I felt really helped with introducing the story. If for some reason I'm always reminded of the 1970s sitcom The Fallen Rise of Reginald Perrin where you hear the flute duo playing a minor second interval up high. One of my favourite sounds. It's a very silly programme from the 1970s. It's one of my like weird things that I like is old sitcoms. That's about it for this week's episode. We'll listen to the full track in just a moment, but before we do that, thank you for listening to How I Make Music. Catch new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else. How I Make Music is created by John Bartman. For audio experiences that keep people listening, contact John Bartman via the show notes. And now, here's Confessional, a chilling historical chamberwork in its entirety. My name is David R. Simpson, and thanks for listening to How I Make Music. We'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.